0: In a world gone mad, only rationality and common sense can save it. It's Andrew and Jerry Save the World with your hosts, Andrew Langer and Jerry
1: Rogers. And now, here's Andrew and Jerry.
0: Well, hello there, everybody. Welcome to episode seven of Andrew. Yes, seven. Seven, Jerry. Uh, Episode seven of Andrew and Jerry Save the World. I am Andrew Langer. I'm Jerry Rogers. And uh, we are titling this what, Jerry? Uh, Andrew and Jerry Save Policing? Uh, save Public Safety? Uh, what, what do you think? We save Law Enforcement? Andrew and Jerry Save the Streets. Andrew and Jerry Save the Streets. I love it. That's a, that's a brilliant way to put it. Uh, because we're going to be talking about policing. We're going to be talking about crime. We're also going to be talking about criminal justice reform. We're going to be joined by David Safavian, who's the general counsel of the American Conservative Union. Also going to be talking to him about CPAC, which starts up later this month. Uh, but in the meantime, it's February. It is. Fe- hey, rabbit, oh rabbit, rabbit. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's also, a- you know,
2: it's St. Bridget's Day.
0: Uh, is that right? It is. This is, is why same... you put up that lovely post on Facebook. Yes, because, Bridget. you
2: know, because I have a Bridget. My oldest is a Bridget uh, Ann Rogers, and uh, we have the same Bridget's cross up. we got the Irish flag out to the Shamrocks. My Who wife was... wants to jump to the, 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 the wifey, is very um, exact with holidays. So the next sure. holiday in the Rogers household is Groundhog's Day. Of course, and we do a big thing in the morning. And Erica makes special food, and the kids come down. And we watch the groundhog, and then of course it's uh, it's uh, my wedding anniversary, which is a big yes. a big deal in February. Also, it's Ronald Reagan's birthday, same day
0: as my anniversary. Our which is which is what? What is your what is your anniversary? February six. Oh, there, there so it really is coming up. Uh, so the anniversary of when my wife and I started dating is this month. As it happens, it's also oh. my dad's birthday. Wow. Uh, yeah. So we will, we will celebrate that. That's right after that's right after Valentine's day and there's Valentine's day. And, but, but let me ask you this, Jerry, who was St. Bridget and what is she the patron saint of? Well, I mean, she's a, she's, she,
2: she is a, a patron saint along with St. Patrick of Ireland. Number one, uh, number two, uh, she was a, uh, an, uh, an acolyte of St. Patrick. Mm. She was a, uh, she was a, a peasant girl, right. Who, uh, was the daughter of a druid king or druid chieftain wow and became uh, a christian and the the story is is that she took the uh she took the ground covering and wove it uh, into a cross uh, okay. and it's the same and it's the same bridget's cross and so uh, and in fact in fact ireland is uh moving to uh to give her greater recognition. And of course, also, there's the great warrior Bridget in Irish, uh, in Irish history, the great warrior princess Bridget. Uh, and so it's interesting that, you know, for those who know Irish history, there's the history of the, the Druids and the great Irish kings and, and this sort of thing. And Bridget means something very special to both uh, that tradition, uh, but also to the Christian Catholic tradition.
0: Well, I'm I'm pulling it up, Jerry. This is the uh, this is the sh- the St. Bridget's Cross. Yes. Um. And uh, let me just share that. I don't need to share sound. Uh, so that's the St. Bridget's Cross. That is that is a a, a beautiful uh, icon right there. It is indeed. In fact, no. how how we decided to name Bridget was
2: uh, Erica and I were in Old Town uh, Alexandria, uh, in uh, in uh, in an Irish shop that used to be down there.
0: Oh yes, and, I know it well.
2: Yeah, and uh, and we're walking in there, and it was just Saint Bridget's cross, and we read the the tale or the story of Saint Bridget, and we decided in that in that shop, you know, if we have a girl, we'll name her Bridget, Aww. and sure enough, we had a girl in there, in there, and there you go. That's that's. Uh, I, and now that's, we've had three awesome. other girls after her, and a boy. So you know, it just so happens today. Saint Br- and also, this is personal nonsense, but Bridget herself is coming home from Catholic University today, and we're gonna to go to Bushwaller's Irish pub, and we're gonna
0: have a little uh, uh, St. Uh, Bridget's Day celebration. Oh, that's wonderful. Now, yeah. I'll tell you something. I don't want to get too into detail. I don't want to divulge details of your daughter's life, but uh, um, uh, on our way visiting a college last week and sort of talking about um, uh, this particular opportunity uh, that could present itself for one of my kids, um, we talked about what's going on with your daughter and the, and the interesting things, the opportunities that are abounding in yeah, her yeah. life. So, so uh, I just want to let you know so, towards the end of the show, by the way, folks, um, um, I, I want to talk to Jerry about a movie that he recommended. In fact, cause it spurs two things. Uh, yes. The tender bar. Want to talk about that uh, towards the end of the show, also want to talk about um, a movie that I started watching uh, the eyes of Tammy Faye. Oh no. No. Let me tell you something. <laughs> We're about a third of the way in. You know, it was just uh, one of those things that. What? Go big, ahead.
2: I, I just I, that. What an icky time, uh, uh, in terms of evangelical Christianity with the Bakers and and the Jimmy Swaggart fall from oh, grace sure, yes. and all the rest of it. It's just, oh,
0: let me tell you why I was surprised. Now, now, I I have a, a weird connection to this movie. I'll say it now. <laughs> um, in that the guy who plays Pat Robertson, yeah. Gabriel Olds is someone that I went to high school with that. I acted in at least one play with, we're still, uh, friendly with each other. He plays Pat Robertson, which is interesting. Um, but they, you know, the movie itself paints a very sympathetic portrayal yes, or, of, a very, ta- yeah. uh, of, of Tammy. Tammy Faye. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, we haven't gotten into a uh, gym yet. But you know, listen. I mean, here's the thing. It's funny because we we, we may, maybe we'll get into this later. Um, you know what seems to be forgotten in most of these portrayals, you know, in any of this, and sort of the glee that the left takes with uh, takes whenever uh, somebody uh, in in a religious community, especially a Christian community, has a major fall from grace, is forgetting that we're all imperfect. Right, um, you know, there's a lot of this discussion over Jerry Falwell Jr., for instance, um, and and there's a, another uh, prominent minister uh, uh, took aim squarely at him. Um, oh, you know, it's
2: funny. Uh, David yeah. French has a piece, yes. at the Atlantic right now, uh, and again, David French, God bless him, but David French has this gig now with Time and Time Magazine, and oh, so yeah. therefore. He's making it a business to to go after um, Christians in particular, conservatives more broadly. And here's the thing for every one pastor or for every one televangelist that has fallen from grace. I can give you a hundred pastors and missionaries and volunteers and other people of faith who behind the scenes are working, advancing uh, God's kingdom. So I, I think it's unfair that the day they, there's so much to to criticize in terms of you know of the of the culture of of our corporate culture of the media and who does David French
0: decide to go after uh, his own and I, I have a problem with that isn't that interesting right because we've talked about the grift and we've talked about you know people who sort of set up these these I'm gonna say it a money making scheme for themselves a sinecure almost. Uh, where where sort of they're essentially they become an industry of whatever someone is willing to pay them to tear at something else, you know and, and how it and how it just it, it winds through a movement. And they, again, now this is something that can happen on both the left and the right, right We've talked about how the Tea Party movement was destroyed from without right, by the constant attacks on the part of the Obama administration, on the part of the of journalists. But then it was also destroyed from within by grifters who were able to seize on it and use it for their own money making ends. Uh, Black Lives Matter, that movement is certainly seeing that right now with the discussion over, you know, uh, uh, the the one of the leaders of it uh, having multiple houses and, and but anyway. the difference, the difference, I
2: think, between the left and the right, um, the right keeps on waiting and there are glimpses of it where they say, look, because of wokeness, political correctness, uh, the left eats its own. I don't believe that. I think that happens on occasion. Uh, the left, if you look at its history, its, its success, it is remarkably disciplined, remarkably loyal. It is the right that continually uh,
0: uh, eats its own. I think if we're looking at this from a sociological perspective, that you know it is more difficult in a movement of rugged individualists when a leader who is able to capture that—and I mean that in a good way—is able to capture that that energy and get everybody moving in the direction. When a leader like that falls. The movement has a hard time recovering. I think it is easier for a movement where people are subsuming their individual interests to the collective. When one strong man falls, another one can easily step in and take their place because there are more lemmings. And anyway, this is yeah. I know. Go ahead. This although, is not where I to go. Oh, 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 yeah. it's
2: not going to, into into safe streets, but it does go into. I know you wanted to talk about this, but um, are, are the guests that we had on a previous um. A previous it, podcast.
0: I'm out for a second because I want to talk about two things in that regard. So let's let's actually move into our ripped from the headlines segment. Ripped from the headlines. So go, go ahead because th- this does open it up. You, I know you want to talk about. Uh, you want to talk about Ilya. I want to talk about Ilya. Well, uh, Ilya Shap-
2: uh, Shapiro was on the program, and and just the, the day after, or or a couple days after, it was announced that he was going to take this leadership position at Georgetown Law. Oh yeah. And then and then a couple days after that, it broke that. Uh, Justice Breyer was uh, retiring and uh, Joe Biden uh, pulled a Joe Biden. And instead of being uh, artful, instead of being uh, smart, just was political and ugly and said that I will only consider I will only nominate an African-American woman for the court. Uh, And again, uh, 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 detractors and Democrats, uh, Senator Durbin and others defended the president by saying Reagan did this and Trump did this. They did not, by the way. Yes. Um, and, and, and again, it just shows you how lazy, intellectually lazy our media is because it just accepts that as truth. It's not the truth. And then, of course, uh, Ilya Shapiro uh, was critical, rightly so, of the president's uh, fetish, an ugly, uh, an ugly uh, focus on race, uh, and said more or less that we'll get a lesser justice uh, because of the preoccupation and, and, and focus on race. And then, of course, he was criticized. He was criticized by future, uh, by future, um, his future colleagues, his his yep. pending colleagues at Georgetown uh, Law, and he issued an apology. Yes, you know, and I and, and I thought, I thought the apology was unnecessary. I agree. And now it, and now it turns out he gave a statement yesterday. Uh, uh, it was on Twitter. You can look at it. Maybe we'll put up on the on the show page later, where he more or less says, "Look, uh, I did nothing wrong." Uh, I am already on administrative uh, uh, leave yes. uh, uh, pending an investigation. So they're investigating, they're investigating him, which I think yes. is, is to, like, to what end? And what and, are they investigating? This
0: is the point, you know, I, I talked to our old colleague, uh, uh, Stacy Lynn, who's now with, I think, CBS News uh, Radio, CBS Radio. And, and that's the, the problem, of course, right? You know, we, our conversation with David, uh, with David, our conversation with Ilya Shapiro was about the politicization of the high court and the politicization of the nominating process. Uh, you know, and Ilya is a thoughtful scholar. He thinks deeply about issues. He writes about them. Issues about the Constitution, and, and more to the point, he thinks about them in a way that, and and from a perspective that young people, uh, young law students, need to be hearing from. And so, which is why incidentally Georgetown hired him in the first place. Hey, let's, let's be, let's be, let's be real and honest here. Right. Um, Georgetown, if they, if they were if like any other employer in 2022, they would have, and should have been looking at everything that Ilya Shapiro had written. I'm sure they should have been looking at his social media, right? He just waged a school board campaign. Um, he ran for school board in Fairfax county. I, I would hope that they would be looking at what he said on the campaign trail. Now I, I would hope that, that you know that nothing that he would do would cause them to not want to hire him. but nevertheless, right you can't come in now after you've offered the job to somebody and after he's had the incident, he's offered his apology um, uh, but again you, you say the incident what he did okay. what he tweeted there was nothing wrong with it well, jerry when i say incident i mean no i know i, I, I know I, you know i okay maybe it was an artful on my part no, no 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 i'm I'm just saying that no you're forced to. There, there's no
2: other way to describe it but the incident well, because because the uh the mainstream culture and 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 the elites have made it into an incident.
0: But 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 yes, they've made it into an incident. That's yeah. my my point is that the incident really is the reaction to to Ilya Shapiro's tweet than the tweet itself. Um, and weirdly enough, you know, my tweet defending, you know, we we did this thing when we had our conversation. because the other thing I wanted to talk about before we get to David Safavian and, and as we tee up the topic, um, my my tweet in defense of Ilya Shapiro uh, that got. 20,000 impressions. Right. I, I pulled that, I pulled that up. The, the disparate things it's like, well, the there only you go. Tweet. Yes. Um, um, and, and that's, but you know, it, it was, that tweet was got the impressions because uh, somebody from the national review was kind enough to retweet me without my, without my asking, but that's the, and that's the other thing I wanted to uh, talk about Jerry, because we've got this thing with Ilya Shapiro going on. We had our conversation with Eugene Volokh last week about free speech And, and Friday I'm coming back to, you know, we came back from our our day trip. I turn on, weirdly enough, I turn on the Bill Maher show. I never watched Bill Maher. Uh, And I turned it on because our friend Matt Welch from reason was going to be on there. And they were interviewing Ira Glasser, who's the former executive director of the ACLU. And, and he is talking about how, disappointed he is with this complete change in approach from the aclu sure that the aclu is now applying a means test they're now policing the language of the people whose speech they're supposed to be defending right. which is a complete betrayal of what the aclu was founded on and he was talking about how disgusted he is with this at the same time this is happening there is a debate going on regarding the platform Substack and you and I'm going to I want to throw you under the bus here. Jerry called me up the other day and he's like, "Hey, explain Substack <laughs> to me." Um and and you know, and we've got to talking about Substack as a platform for speech. And so the communications director for Substack is on social media being attacked for for Substack being a platform for speech. And I turned to my wife and I said, we're living in really scary times. And I don't mean that hyperbolically. I've said some things that are hyperbole in the last couple of days because, you know, hold on, hold on. Let me, let me just finish my thought, Jerry. We're at a point and this is a real inflection point where, and we have, we are raising young people to, to, to not have any kind of respect or regard for free speech, or why free speech is important, and again,
2: to go back to what um, you, talked
0: Eugene, about. Eugene uh,
2: uh, uh, Volok said, and that is, you know, we understand the distinction between the the government's role in prohibiting speech, but what he said was there's also this idea of the of the principle or the spirit of free speech, yes. and that is certainly being. Um, being, de- I mean, destroyed. There's no other way to say it. And uh, and the, uh, I'll throw this out, and we've talked about this before, but it seems to me, look, this has always been an issue. Like, there's been speech codes. Like, right back back in the '80s, there was the Tipper Gore movement yes. to put warning labels on records. And then later in the '90s, and later '90s, early 2000s, there were speech codes on college campuses. And that has, and that evolved into wokeism and then COVID hit and COVID in a relatively short period of time has brought the, uh, uh, the, the Chinese, uh, cultural revolution, uh, uh, type, uh, type public square, uh, public discussion to America. Yes, we are, and- we are, we are entering into a phase of American history, uh, where most people are afraid, look. I've been talking about mask policy on the radio show and uh, with you. I've I've written about oh, yeah, it. Absolutely, um, cloth masks, uh, sponge masks have no, no. zero
0: have zero no, no, effect. No, no, no. There, let's be really clear. There are studies that indicate that there is an efficacy that that we there are serious questions as to the efficacy of. Masks. Yes, uh, Jerry and Jerry is it, saying this, and Jerry is the editor of Real Clear Health, so right. he understands this. And, and, he does and, this and, research. And I, you know, I just spoke
2: with a uh, with the head of a uh, of, of a of a of a of a big organization, and he told me I just I had this conversation yesterday. He said he, he I, I, there's nothing I can do. I I know I you're right, Jerry, but because if I say something or or change the policy. Um, I run the risk of being run out of here. Yes.
0: And so, and so,
2: is, so again, free leaders, those who
0: should be leading us are afraid to speak the truth. And more to the point, as we seed more of these grounds for discussion away from traditional public squares onto quasi private, quasi public platforms um, that are corporate controlled, right? Again, you know, going back to 2001, me, you know, CEI uh, uh, employee, me, you know, talking about the 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 problems of you know, if if you had told me then that I was going to be talking 20 years later about the problems of of privatized uh, speech platforms, um, I would I would have you know I would have been incredulous. I don't know, whatever, however you want to put it. Jerry, listen, we got to tee this up. Uh, we're yes. gonna, we'll we come back. We'll talk a little more about speech later on. Um, but but we had some you were, again, like you always are on the leading edge of this. Uh, <laughs> there were some some tragic attacks on or there was a, a tragic, I'm going to say, incident involving police in New York yeah. a little over a week ago, late last week, where there, there were the funerals. Um, this is part of the reason why we want to talk about these issues today. Talk about what happened in New York. Well, again, a 22-year-old
2: uh, rookie, a 27-year-old uh, a, a cop on the job for just three years, and a, and a third rookie officer go to a domestic call, and I'll say this: and I've talked to police, I've interviewed police on on the radio program. Uh, the fact is, is that uh, because of the political, uh, uh, the, the the political side of things, police uh, t- tools have been taken out of their tool belt, and they go into these circumstances. Uh, and they 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 have to be less aggressive. Uh, they have to be careful, and that that being careful actually puts their lives in jeopardy. And what happened up in New York, of course, was uh, they went to a back bedroom. A guy comes out shooting uh, and murders two officers.
0: Yes, and and a guy who who should not by any rights should not have had a firearm. Right, it was his...
2: should have had a firearm. Shouldn't have yeah.
0: been in New York because he was on
2: parole yeah. in Maryland. And so the entire system broke down. But this is the system now where, look, we'll talk about this with our guest. but uh, New York City in Midtown Manhattan, uh, cl- uh, retail shops are closed yeah. because of
0: because of uh, shoplifting. I, and listen, so the rule I, I just, of law is out the window. I just read the story, the Dwayne Reed that was across yeah. uh, up the block, across the street from the office that I used to work for. Yeah. In Midtown. Um, in Midtown. they're, yes. they're close. I mean, we're talking 50th. Fiftieth, Fiftieth yes. Street and Eighth Avenue. That's I mean, exactly right. Talking, which, which, listen, yes. Thirty years ago, Fiftieth Street and Eighth Avenue was not a place you would have opened a Dwayne Reed, but it it is a it is a Tony neighborhood now, or at least it was. Um, that's just that's astounding to me. Um, it, it looked right, you know. Uh,
2: our backyard is Baltimore City. Yeah. Uh, uh, in the first uh, thirty days of the year, there have been thirty six homicides. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, again. Things are out of out of control.
0: Yes, but but listen. I know I know you are nothing. You are nothing but a staunch defender of of Marilyn Mosby. You you believe in (laughs) everything that she has done. Yes,
2: progressive uh, prosecutors. (laughs) In fact, if you you can't do this, but for the sake of conversation, if you were to lay the blame on one person or type of person uh, that has brought in the uh, crime surge and violent uh, violent no. crime surge, it's these progressive uh, prosecutors.
0: Well, and we're going to talk with our guest, uh, uh, David Safavian, uh, about this. In fact, Jerry, why don't we go ahead and, and, and tee that up, and let's go directly to our expert advice segment. Expert advice. We're really excited to be joined by our guest today. He's been a Good friend to both me and Jerry in the policy world for for years, both uh, uh, in his guise as general counsel of the American Conservative Union and before. Uh, his name is David Safavian. David, welcome to Andrew and Jerry Save the World. Oh, fellas, thank you for having me on this morning. So, so we started talking about this. We had this, this tragic case of these police officers being gunned down a couple of weeks ago in New York. Uh, Jerry and I talk a great deal and have talked a great deal about crime in Baltimore. Your a lot of your work. I mean, obviously, your work with the American Conservative Union, you talk a lot about criminal justice reform, and we'll, we'll talk about this, but but let's talk about the balance between the two. Let's start here. What do progressives get wrong about criminal justice reform? And how does that play into the crime surges that we are, that we've been that we see?
1: So. It's a great question, and it's one that I think a lot of a lot of our policymaker friends struggle with. But here's the bottom line. The difference between where conservatives come and, and liberals or progressives come is this. From a conservative standpoint, we always start start bottom line with public safety. Anything that we do on policy has to make public safety better, has to strengthen communities, has to make officers safer, families safer, businesses safer. Our friends on the left, don't start with public safety. They start with a term that we all love and know called equity, what is equitable, what is fair. And when they do that, they are completely disregarding the fact that there has to be a role for law enforcement. There has to be a role for prisons because let's be candid. There are people that are uh, just too dangerous to be on the streets. So when they talk about abolishing prisons and defunding police, they are completely ignoring the fact that prisons and police are important to our public safety strategy. We believe that they are a critical element, but at the same time, we have to find a balance because for every dollar that we spend to unnecessarily incarcerate people because they're not public safety threats, that's a dollar that comes out of more cops on the street, better salary for cops, more effective criminal justice strategies. So we find that balance, whereas they are often a whole different, different land with a whole different set of goals.
0: And and these are, these are, these are vital issues. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, where, you know, we've been talking about speech and literally just a couple of minutes ago, I had said that we're raising a generation and successive generations of people, of, of kids who have no respect uh, or, or understanding of why speech is important. Do you think we're doing the same thing when it comes to policing as we inject all of this equity um, propaganda into our, into our schools?
1: Oh, I think that there's no doubt about that. Yeah. Uh, if, if the only difference between um, prosecution and non-prosecution of someone who poses a threat to a, a family or a neighborhood is the color of their skin or their gender, we are by definition um, leaving open the possibility that some people are allowed to be on the streets even though they're dangerous merely because they check certain boxes for our progressive friends. That doesn't work.
2: Well, and again, the, 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 we're in this age where uh, the left, uh, the progressives, but also mainstream uh, uh, elites, corporate media, and, and the rest like to say, follow the science. So uh, when it comes to criminal criminal justice reform, when it comes to policing uh, and, and crime reduction, uh, if we follow the science, a, a couple of things. Number one, we know that good aggressive policing actually protects against mass incarceration. Uh, we know that at the, uh, at the height of successful broken, fixing broken windows policing in New York City, uh, we know that arrests actually came down uh, as the homicide, uh, the homicide uh, rate and shootings and, and other violent crime came down. And so, and also, uh, lastly, we know from Heather McDonald at the City Journal and other and other experts uh, that this this idea that police police departments are systemic, systemically racist, uh, is untrue. In fact, if you look at the data, uh, it's uh, it's clear that uh, that systemic racism doesn't exist in in police departments. That doesn't mean there's an exception that proves proves the rule. It just means that. Our friends on the left, and I like that you say that, uh, but also those uh, who are more mainstream are misinterpreting the data.
1: Yeah, I think um, my challenge and, and, you know, we do work with some folks on the left who share our vision of public safety. Uh, My challenge is that they only they only like the data that supports their position. (laughs) Yes. Well, I'm that way too I, sometimes. <laughs> let's be frank. I mean, come on, that's part of human nature and I get it. And we're all in on the joke. Yeah. But um, the one thing that I think <clears throat> where there's a major disconnect is there is a difference between incarceration and accountability. Right. Um, I think that incarceration is one facet of accountability. But we all have to be held accountable for our actions. And I think that's where um, progressives kind of lose the mark. They lose the bead on on target is their solution results in people not being held accountable. Right. And it's that accountability that if we hold people accountable for the small things in the beginning, then they don't progress to the worst things later on.
2: If I had our bell, Andrew, I would yes. be banging it right now because, um, David, what you said makes perfect sense. And Let me put it into a, a, a bigger, a wider context and so you can comment, and that is um, my criticism of the uh, Marilyn Mosby, the state's attorney in Baltimore, or the, uh, the prosecutors in Manhattan or Philadelphia or L.A. Uh, is that uh, they believe that quality of life crimes or what they call uh, low-impact crimes, uh, that you don't need to police or hold people accountable. Uh, and I understand from where they're coming. There's been, uh, there's been you know, in, in our history, uh, uh, police abuses and, and, and these sorts of things. But the fact of the matter is, you're right. And this is the, the basis of fixing broken windows policing, right? You go into a community and you negotiate with the community Uh, The policing strategies and the community involvement. And but but everyone agrees you go into uh, uh, East Baltimore and they'll tell you that we have to hold these these petty criminals accountable. Absolutely. And that's what we're lacking, uh, David. We're lacking accountability. Yeah. Rogers, you're so much smarter than lying around. (laughs) <laughs> well, just, on, I, uh, on these issues i used to be me. better
0: looking but the, the, <laughs> i kind of lost i want to i, I want to <laughs> show this COVID. by the way jerry mentioned uh, heather mcdonald's book um uh, that she's written a number of books yeah the war uh, on the police the war on, war on cops i have this here i'm pulling this up here um this is this is really interesting because you know david we've been talking about speech uh, we've been talking about conversations the importance of conversations this is a picture from the henry miller Library, which is a nonprofit private entity in Big Sur in California, um, and and they you know they have this tree of knowledge, and here is a, a, here it, you would expect because it's Big Sur and it's the Henry Miller Library, it would be nothing but progressive books, and yet they, to their credit, they have up for sale uh, on the tree of knowledge. Uh, Heather McDonald's uh, uh, The War on Cops. So, uh, you know, kudos to the uh, the Henry Miller Library for that. Let, let me ask you this, David, from a general perspective, because you are the uh, the general counsel of the American Conservative Union, uh, which has especially in the last, I would say, six, seven, eight years, uh, really taken. out, you know, so I'll go back a little bit, probably a little bit further as well. Uh, but but but, you know, especially with and we're going to get into CPAC in a bit definitely focusing on policy and getting into the, 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 not, the weeds is not the right word, grassroots, certainly, but understanding that policy is hard uh, and that these policy questions are hard questions um, and that there are no easy solutions. You know, that's part of the problem, again, that our other, that, that our, our, our friends and neighbors on the left have is they want simple solutions to things. Talk about this idea of, of the fact that there are no simple solutions and talk about what ACU has been doing in that regard. Wow. Well,
1: <clears throat> you know, you just hit the nail on the head. Policy is hard and criminal justice policy is particularly hard for a couple of reasons. Um, one is human nature is impossible to predict and we can predict kind of mass trends, but, you know, so every time we ha- we do a, a sound evidence-based reform, there's always a possibility that some um, uh, reprobate is going to do something really awful, right. right? And the problem with policy and politics is that bad laws are often founded by bad headlines. So you, hmm. you'll you have a 99% success rate on a criminal justice reform, but one guy or one gal is going to get out and do something really awful, and, and there's a group that wants to throw the entire regime out. We're yes. seeing that right now after Waukesha, right? You know, Waukesha, the system failed. The guy should never have been released on the street. He should have been held without right. bail. He was a public safety threat. He was a risk of absconding. And yet some progressive prosecutor decided, you know what, $1,000 is enough. He paid the $1,000, got into his SUV and drove over and killed people, six people. That is not the right way to go. But here's the the other problem. And it's not just to the uh, a problem for our friends on the left. You know, the the simple solution if you think if you think about it from Heather McDonald, who you know, she and I disagree on a whole lot of stuff, is you know what, we should just incarcerate more people. Tom Cotton goes out and he says, We don't have an over-incarceration problem, we got an under-incarceration problem. Well, guess what? That doesn't work either. If we're gonna hold every single person, and make and hold them to guarantee that they will never reoffend again. That means every minor crime is a life sentence, yeah. and, and yes. nobody wants that. The
2: the the idea of zero tolerance. We saw how it didn't work in Absolutely. Baltimore City under under uh, 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 Mayor O'Malley. And and you make a great point here because um, because of O'Malley's mass incarceration, his mass arrest policy, um, uh, he bastardized uh, fixing broken windows policing. Fixing broken windows policing is not mass incarceration. It's not even mass arrests. It's 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 data driven community negotiated policing, uh, which is different in New York than Philadelphia, than Boston, uh, than Camden. And so uh, and what, however, the O'Malley bad policy uh, has really uh, has really hurt the public discussion on policing and criminal justice.
1: Well, and let me take it one one level further, because I think people are kind of locked into stereotypes and they assume that, uh, you know, the African-American community in New York didn't like broken windows. Right. Let me I, I would challenge anybody to go talk to the average uh, African-American mother or father living in Brooklyn or, or the Bronx and ask if they want people out there tagging with spray paint. They want right. people out there doing shoplifting that drive stores out of there. It's no wonder that we have these kind of retail deserts because all the shoplifting means if you're Walgreens or CVS or, you know, none of the companies want to put, put places up. And next thing, you know, there's no place to buy fresh food and, and vegetables. Yep. So all of these small things, you know, it, it, maybe they the our, our friends on the progressive left think uh, that, you know, African-Americans, people of color, uh, don't want any law enforcement. I think that is as far from the truth as it gets. What they want is proportional law enforcement. Yeah. They want accountability to stop people from doing the small things, because it affects their quality of life just as much as it affects yours, Jerry, or yours, Andrew.
2: Right. Yeah. I think I think you're right. And and again, you mentioned um, David. You mentioned uh, the, the term equity earlier, uh, and and the problem with the term is is that uh, it, it's defined by the person using it. There is no definition. I believe in equality. I believe in and um, and dealing with uh, 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 disparities in criminal justice. We have to do that, right? Uh, but but equity to some really is about uh, it's 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 about it's about politics. It's about fighting old fights. It's about getting the outcome that I want as opposed to what's the best outcome uh, for the community.
1: Equity is about as well defined as the term fair or the term good, <laughs> right? Uh, it's nothing but a political Rorschach test. Yep, that's I, right. I, uh,
0: yeah. I, I pull this up here. Uh, this is the graphic that I was shown about this um, about uh, about uh, uh, equity, and I, I always come back to this idea: How come the guy over here? Uh, sorry, for those of you who are listening, it's the graphic of uh, three people standing at a fence: someone very tall, someone of middling height, and someone very short, um, and they're peering over the fence watching a baseball game. And I'm thinking, well, how come they didn't just buy a ticket to the baseball game? They bought a ticket to the baseball game. All three of them could actually sit and watch the game together. Uh, why is it that I'm somehow responsible for them watching the, this uh, this this game with the Apple cards? Anyway, David, let's let's shift gears a little bit and talk about generally. And i actually I should pull this up. Uh, generally, the work that ACU does. Uh, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna share the screen right now so everybody can see. Uh, this is uh, the ACU page, conservative.org. Um, obviously, lots of stuff on CPAC. You guys don't just do CPAC, uh, and you don't just do criminal justice, which is, I know, the work that you do uh, when you're not just the general counsel. But talk about the things that uh, that the American Conservative Union does and the ACU Foundation does, if, you can, if you're if you allowed to talk about what the ACU Foundation does.
1: I, I can because I wear two hats. I'm also there the general go. counsel of the ACU Foundation. There you go. Uh, well, let me start with who we are because yeah. I don't think a lot of people understand. Um, ACU was founded in 1964 by a guy named William Buckley, mm. right? And the and the idea was that um, we need to paint with bold, broad, bright colors, not kind of subtle mishmash, mealy-mouth policies. We need to you know stand up for conservative ideas, conservative beliefs, and that means you know respect for life, reduced government intervention in the marketplace you know, uh uh responsible ways to spend your dollars and my dollars. Um that's kind of our our, our core set of core principles, right? That the government doesn't know best, you know best and I know best, not only what's best for our businesses, but ourselves and our children. Uh, how do we implement that? How do we pursue those things? Well, the first thing we do is we educate our activists, and that's what CPAC is all about. CPAC is not a political rally. It is a way for people to come and learn about what is conservatism, what are conservative principles. So if you go to a CPAC or you watch it online uh, or you watch it on C-SPAN, you're going to see a range of people talking about different conservative views, everything from foreign policy, to the economy, to criminal justice reform, uh, to education policy. all of, We talk about all these things in very, very granular levels. It's not boring by any stretch, especially yeah. when uh, our, our President Donald Trump comes on stage. Uh, but, you know, we, we, we really do go out of our way and make it a point to educate folks because uh, that's the most critical tool for us. But another thing that we do is we hold legislators accountable, and it's it's probably the least reported but most impactful um, thing that we do at ACU. We have a team right next door uh, that looks at every single piece of legislation that is voted on by every single legislative chamber in the country. Oh wow. So there are uh, uh, there are 99 legislative chambers at the states plus the House and the Senate in Washington DC. And yep, our ACU ratings. Yes, I'm And they look at those and they pull out votes that really define what it, what it means to be conservative. So votes on tax cuts, votes on abortion, votes on education and charter schools and private schools. They then uh, for every state and for the legislature, they they combine all those votes and they give every uh, elected official at the legislative level, a rating. The reason why this is so important is that we know in this era of social media, uh, and and mass media, that people like to talk conservative or they like to talk liberal, but sometimes their voting records don't reflect that. Uh, In in an era where um, so many uh, legislative districts are really gerrymandered, um, where the rubber meets the road is how conservative or how liberal a candidate is. So what we provide for voters, for everybody really, is a way to look at candidates and go, who's the most conservative? Who do I want to vote for? And if somebody has a 50% ACU rating, well, what that tells me is they may talk conservative, but they vote liberal. Uh, right. This is the most important thing to hold our, our elected officials accountable. And I really urge everybody to go to ratings.conservative.org. Because I, I, they I, can, yep.
0: uh, no, sorry. I just, I pulled up David. I pulled up my old, my old hometown, uh, Hartsdale, New York. Uh, and and you can sort it by by uh, lifetime ratings. So the highest was Senator James Buckley, who was in office years and years ago. Interestingly enough, uh, Al D'Amato uh, only a sixty-seven uh, percent uh, lifetime rating. Yep. But I, then you sort of you get down here um, and you see where was she? Uh, Hillary Clinton, a eight percent rating. Uh, uh, Congresswoman Elizabeth Holtzman, a seven percent rating. Uh, Elliot Engel of six percent rating, Schumer five percent. Look at Moynihan. Yeah, Moynihan was um, was uh, uh, an eight percent rating. Yeah, yeah. Good you guy know. though. God rest his soul. Yeah, you know, but Jerry and I and Jerry and I were talking about uh, about uh, the late Senator Moynihan and about these issues, right? You know, the thing about Moynihan and David, I don't know how familiar you are with uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan. But you know he was uh, 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 a someone who thought deeply about policy and certainly someone who understood that when you uh, the, when you have this approach to crime and policing and the socioeconomic issues that are plaguing inner cities, there are lots of factors that are involved, right?
1: Oh. and And Moynihan was famous, famous for questioning the wisdom of the social safety net, sure. yeah, right. I mean, his, his view was that once you get people hooked on government, they never want to wean themselves off. And it, it undermines an entire generation and an entire socioeconomic class of people. You know, it, this is why after spending trillions of dollars following great society, we've seen poverty rates shift, not a bit, yeah. you know, despite all the free handouts. It really so, was. And, and,
2: and what's sad there yeah. too, is, is that Andrew, just on, on, on Senator Moynihan, yeah. um, uh, He he was a liberal's liberal. Um, However, uh, he was someone uh, you could work with. um, And I'll give you an example. Uh, uh, When I was at the Manhattan Institute, uh, we had a reentry program uh, uh, that we worked on, uh, you know, uh, 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 men coming out of prison, getting them uh, engaged in culture, society, uh, jobs, and, and that sort of thing. And we were working with, at the time, the mayor of Newark, Cory Booker. And Cory Booker at that time was a Democrat, was a liberal, but wanted to find solutions to criminal justice reform and, and some other issues. Moynihan was that way, but it seems something happened. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe it's the, 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 the continued uh, gerrymandering, but uh, there are very, uh, there, there are fewer and fewer friends on the left uh, like a Moynihan, like an old uh, Cory Booker years ago, Cory Booker, that will partner with uh, conservatives uh, for uh, f- f- for good policy and good. You know, sometimes good policy means that <laughs> I don't like all of it. You don't like all of it, uh, but for the most part, uh, it's going to advance advance uh, 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 civic
0: society and good things. And before you hold on, David, before you answer that, because I, I want to tack on something to this that I want to get your thoughts on. You know, how much of this difficulty in working with the impossibility of working with the other side, it all stems from the, the demonization that happens. And certainly you guys at ACU and the CPAC conference have been, I'm going to say the victims, not that I like playing the victim card. Well, they but had that, sort of, they had that stage, Andrew. Yeah, well, don't yes, start don't No, no, <laughs> but, but the point is, the point is, but, but right, but right, David, <laughs> you guys have been demonized in the way that all conservatives have been demonized <laughs> and it leads to these ridiculous accusations, right? It, it, it makes it much more difficult for us to have a rational discussion and Jerry and I've talked about the conversation. Uh, the more that an organization gets not just demonized, but demonized with completely outlandish accusations. Yeah. And um, not that you need to talk about what happened last year. Don't No, but, but that's,
1: (laughs) that's just, I, I think the problem behind that is that there is a feeling, particularly on the energized left, although we're guilty of it sometimes too, that the ends justify them, that you can work to tear down somebody because they simply disagree with you. You see it with Joe Rogan, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, who's no conservative, but all no. of a sudden he's become the heartthrob of conservatives, right? <laughs> I know. You know, uh,
2: David, I want to interrupt you just for one second, and and and, and you keep on going, that's but that's, that's also a problem that we have on on the right. Uh, we uh, a celebrity or someone who's not usually with us is with us on something. And then all of a sudden we praise them and then they come out and they, and they kill us later. So we have to be very careful. I mean, I support Joe Rogan, his, his podcast, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to get my Joe Rogan sign and start, you know, marching around the block. Jerry and I
0: are two, hold on, David, Jerry and I are two very different minds on this because I think that when somebody on the other side says something that is correct, we have to praise them for it. I don't know. I think we praise them too much. I'm sorry, David. (laughs) Sorry, David, go ahead.
1: Yeah, you know, I am not going to go burn my Kanye record, Kanye West records.
0: There you go. <laughs> I'm right. the same thing with my Joni Mitchell records. How uh, old are you, and, oh. and, uh, uh, <laughs> David,
2: on a side note, because this is the thing with Andrew and I. One of the one of the one of my most uh, one of my most uh, favorite uh, times at a concert was when Joni Mitchell came on. And the audience who had no idea who she was started throwing water balloons at her. Oh. So anyway, that's what I think of Johnny I'm Mitchell. Sure,
0: I'm sure that would have I'm sure that would have that that, that had the appropriate response to Johnny anyway, Mitchell. Anyway, I'm
2: sorry, David. I interrupted David though. Go ahead,
1: go ahead, David. I'm sorry. Look, you know, when when you feel truly virtuous, whether it's accurate <laughs> or not, you feel like the ends justify the means. Yes. So that makes it okay for Joe Biden to go out and uh, you know call Georgia's election law Jim Crow too. Yes, You know, this is just the type of stuff that we didn't see before. And and now I will go after our friends in the progressive left. They really have abandoned all social norms of cooperation, respect, you know, just basic decency because they feel so strongly that their position is right that it doesn't matter who you hurt, what you say, or how you act as long as you get to that ultimate goal that they believe is honorable
2: Because politics today for the left is religion.
1: Yes, and, oh, 100%. And,
2: and you can justify burning someone at the stake uh, if they are a heretic, if they're an apostate. And that's the problem. And then they objectify and dehumanize, right? And then we get into the circumstance where you can cancel people.
1: Oh, and it's no coincidence that CPAC last year was called America Cancel.
0: <laughs> yes, uh, that's right. You know.
1: This year, CPAC, by the way, is called uh, "America, uh, uh,
0: America Awake, Not Woke." Awesome. Uh, I'm going to pull that up and uh, here. Let me let me go ahead and and, and man, pull up someone there, over there, at CPAC it. has
2: a head for knowing things with these uh,
0: with these uh, with these titles and names. I like it. So yeah. so this is yeah this is uh, this is it from from CPAC Florida uh, coming up. I, I just want to say you know if I'm going to date myself. Uh, what we're talking about here in this position of being... Andrew, correct, the Pope thinks that's a sin, my friend. Uh, thank you. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, <I> just <laughs> he, got, he just got uh, it. You just, no, no, I not that I just get it. It's just it reminded me of something that I anyway. Um, but my point is, is that you know I'm gonna I'm gonna you know it was something that was that Gilbert and Sullivan warned about in the Mikado, this idea. But let's let's uh, let's talk about this. Uh, CPAC back is in the 19th up- century when Andrew yes, Langer was traveling. US, <laughs> to tell you something. This is what I can talk about Joni Mitchell. Oh, um, Lord have mercy, did you watch so- it on your
1: Palm Pilot? Just out of curiosity.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I watched it on my uh, my Nintendo uh, my Nintendo Game Boy. I have I have that ability. Um, so so CPAC is coming up uh, February 24th to 27th. Uh, what is I'm sorry, you said what is the uh, uh, what is the theme this year? It is awake, not woke awake, not woke. Um, How, how is it? I mean, so I was down there for the beginning of it last year. I'm still figuring out if I can go down uh, this year, working on that now. Um, But but, between Andrew and I, we've been
2: to every CPAC. I mean, I mean dozens and I mean going back, not every CPAC. I mean, I think my first CPAC was uh, and I think my first CPAC was
0: 1986. Wow. Mine yeah. was there. Well, you, you went there with your, with your, with your wife, Jerry. We, we were, at the
2: time we were, we, yeah. we were juniors at um, uh, no, no, I'm sorry. It wasn't 86. It was 87. And we were, uh, we were freshmen at uh, Fordham, Fordham, Fordham university. And yeah. we, you know what uh, a, a student organization uh, uh, paid for a trip down there and CPAC had arranged for housing for us. It was a, I mean, we were kids and I remember too, cause we were dating. And, uh, and my girlfriend at the time is now my wife, but I remember, I remember where we stayed. I, I, cause I was a gentleman. I, I insisted that Eric and I not be in the same room. And so uh, also my mother knew that we went down there together. So I wanted to make sure everything wasn't on the up and up, but anyway, but, but we've been going to, I mean, part of, uh, part of CPAC uh, since, um,
0: for me, since the late eighties. And, and for me, it's, it's, it's since the nineties um, and it's, you know, I've had some extraordinary experiences So, how has it been holding it in Florida? Is it ever going to come back to to Maryland or are you going to continue to do it outside of the DC area? Uh, The answer to that is yes to both
1: questions. Okay. (laughs) So, yeah. um, We made the decision to move to to Florida this year, uh, quite frankly, because our experience with the area around DC is that. Public officials are on a hair trigger looking for any excuse, yeah, not only to kind of shut us down, but looking for any excuse to exert more control using the virus as the reason to do so. Yep, of course. And the last thing we wanted to do was ask our activists, and you know, CPAC has grown to we get between 12 and 18,000 folks.
0: I wanted to go there, yeah.
1: Um, we're not going to ask our activists to, uh, you know, mask up if they're. If they don't feel like it, it goes back to personal responsibility, uh, particularly in the era of Omicron. Uh, and, you know, the whole idea that a county official might require a, a vaccine passport, you yeah. know, that whole papers, please right. thing yep. Uh, yep. in the bad yep. German Hogan Zeros accent <laughs> uh, is Hoc not is what we we're going to subject our folks to. And so we're of the opinion that we're going to take our business to where we're appreciated. That said... I think that there is always gonna be a place uh, for a CPAC in Washington, D.C. Uh, we will likely be back here next year, uh, if only because this is where so many people that we all recognize uh, work. Yeah. And that's not to say that there uh, aren't important people out in the field, most of them are beyond the beltway, but we do think that it's important to, to make sure that the folks at the Looney bin down the street in the Capitol um, are aware of our presence and our actives. Uh, I say yes to your question broadly, Andrew, because our leadership under, under Chairman Matt Schlapp has said, you know what? We can have our cake and eat it too. Sure. So we are now uh, moving forward on plans to have more than one CPAC every year. That's so we're great. We're going to pro- probably do one that is anchored here and then rotate around the country in red states. Uh, so we've got Orlando we're doing CPAC Dallas in August. So if Yay! you ever want to go to, to Dallas and enjoy the beautiful weather, August is the time to be there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I expect that we're going to be in places like Tennessee as well. And we're not talking small ones. We're talking major events. Yeah. Um, so we, we want to make sure that we're getting the message out to as many people as possible, not just through, through an app or online, but so that people can really come out and and, you know, I, I do think that the value of CPAC, there's one value that a lot of folks don't talk about, and that is in this cancel culture where we're all afraid of what other people are going to think of us if we come out of the closet as conservatives, that there's really um, not just value, but there's a, an uplifting factor of going to a place and seeing all of these people that may
0: share your values. Yeah, yes, 100%. It, services it, are, are not it, it's, it's, you know, it's funny because I talk about this and I, I sort of borrow phrases again, going back to the 19th century, uh, from, from Dickens, I think it is. You oh know, my goodness. The, the, the you know, it's it's the the the, the spirit of CPAC <laughs> stays with you the entire year, and the spirit is not just in the speakers, and I I, I wax quite a bit about this. Oh my goodness. The, the spirit is not about the necessarily about the speakers in the big room. Uh, it's not even necessarily about the the speakers that you might hear in the breakout sessions, but it's in the conversations that you have with people all throughout the CPAC venue, you know, sitting around, you know, uh, seeing an old friend or meeting somebody somewhere and having a, a chat with them about what they're up to. There, um, there's,
2: so, there's something very special about the fellowship. Uh,
0: the, yes, I mean, to use a church term. I mean,
2: it's and you're right, David, it's um, it it, it recharges you. You know what I mean? 100%. It recharges you to go out and get your job done.
0: You know, when you, when you were struggling long before COVID, there was the, and I'm going to say this, there was the thing that we would call the CPAC crud, which is, you know, you, you're you with everybody and you get some kind of, uh, of, of sickness, um, but, but, you know, you're battling that. That with the energy that you feel when you come out of it, I'm going to share a CPAC memory. And actually, David, I'm going to ask you for your favorite CPAC memory as I talk about mine. Jerry knows what my favorite CPAC memory is, and no, it's not Jerry and former ACU employee Michiel Yazzi shouting at me on it's the escalator. Andrew escalators. Langer. Look, it's <laughs> Andrew Langer putting attention to me. My favorite CPAC memory is from the 2020. I'm sorry, the 2016 CPAC. Um, sitting with Jerry Rogers and Jonathan oh, no. Doon at, at the the at oh, no. their broadcast of the RNC presidential debate. And it was awesome because this was before President Trump was sort of embraced by everybody. And so you had the Trump faction, you had the Ted Cruz faction, you had other folks in there. And the great thing about it was as the debate was up on the big screen in the big ballroom, ACU was also live... Streaming the tweets, yes. That people were that's recruiting. right, and it was it was you know you talk about fellowship, Jerry. It's fun, and it really was about. I mean, obviously there were arguments. I'm there not were gonna, some there were
2: some strong, strongly <laughs> worded exchange of ideas. I remember.
0: Yes, some strongly worded exchanges of ideas that almost were taken so that those exchanges <laughs> might have been held outside of the venue. Oh, Thankfully, no. they were not. David, do you have a a, a favorite CPAC uh, memory? I do. Yeah. I do. So
1: <clears throat> for those of, the, of you that don't know, not only am I involved in criminal justice reform because I think it's the right thing, but because I have a little bit of background in history. Yes. I got caught up in a political scandal once upon a time, and I ended up spending 10 and a half lovely months in a lovely gated community courtesy of Uncle Sam. Okay. And, uh, you know, even though I fought my way through it and I, I know what I did and I know what I didn't do, I know what, what I was charged with was... Was inaccurate to say the least, and and I continue to profess my asks. But that's neither here nor there. But I had at the time a criminal conviction on my record, and President Trump uh, was kind enough to grant me a pardon. So at CPAC in Orlando last year, the president showed up, and I I asked to go thank him, right? Because he really did something extraordinary it's it's too bad that pardons are extraordinary but they are extraordinary so the boss says yeah uh, I'd like you to go back and meet the president there'll be a a couple other VIPs there to, to meet him at the at the back gate of the resort and escort him in so we go in and and uh we're in the back not a plush area just kind of a loading dock and and there are five or six of us standing there to greet him and you know the Secret Service is very cautious. They are always, you know, keeping the distance, especially during during COVID. And you know, the president is is germ aware. Let's just put it that way. And yes. he's not a warm and fuzzy guy in this regard. <laughs> so he comes in and and uh my boss is introducing different people. And and the woman standing next to me, she's just raving. She she says, Mr. President, I'm just I'm so happy that you're here. I love you. I support everything you do. I just want to give you a big hug. And when she mentioned the word hug, the president steps back and the Secret Service guys come up, right? There's <laughs> going to be no hugging involved. Fine. So the president moves down the line and, and Matt Schlab says, Mr. President, this is our general counsel, David Sfabian. You may recall you gave him a pardon. And Trump looks at me and he says, this is the guy that should be giving me a hug. <laughs> 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 broke out one
0: that's great that's, well, that's great. awesome that is yeah. awesome jerry uh i see, david you know i was going to ask you if if it was uh, the the many appearances you had on my saturday show at 7 a.m on a on a saturday oh my goodness morning. uh but that is clearly a better memory jerry for you well, look,
2: I'm not going to give one because there, there, there have been so many. I mean, being on Radio Row with you, Andrew, and oh, yeah. and and grabbing guests and Andrew, we're on, we're doing radio, we're doing live radio, and Andrew's just kind of wa- crowd watching and talking. Oh, there's so and so, and there's Governor so and so. Look, there's just- Sean Hannity. Sean, come on over and panel with us. <laughs> and so there's all that kind of fun stuff. But I'll say this though, because I, again. I remember going as a kid uh, back in, in, in the late 80s when, with, with Erica um, and, uh, and the feeling I had that I wasn't alone. Yeah, yeah.
0: It's the, it's and the, I think um, that,
2: but every year, and I, I'm now, you know, it's, it's all these years later, I'm, I'm in my 50s now. And it, it's so exciting when you pull in, you park your car and you walk in. Even before it starts, because right away, you know, you know that you're you're again, the kind of that fellowship thing. And so it's that feeling. And it's the same every year for an 18 year old kid or a 50, 50 year old man. That that sense of belonging, that sense that you're not alone, uh, that you have your gang, that you have, you know, you know there's, a, there's a scene from that movie um, uh, uh, Devil's Own uh, when uh, Brad Pitt's character goes into the Irish American gun runner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the gun, runner the, oh, gun yeah. runner, the gun runner wants to, you know, is, is stealing his money, and he says, "Oh, Mister Bark, you're a stupid, stupid man, because <laughs> you see me. What you don't see are the thousand men behind me, <laughs> and that's how you feel when you walk in the CPAC. The thousands behind you, uh, and it's a good feeling. So again, that's that's my favorite
1: feeling of uh, CPAC, David. Well, look, one of the one of the problems with social media is that we all kind of segregate into our own tribes, and we we start drinking our own oh, bottle. very water, important right? here. But I will say that when you go to CPAC, you remember you feel like you're back with your own tribe. That's yeah. right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, David, uh, before we let you go, and, and listen, we, we do need to get Matt on to talk about his, his new book. Um, how do folks find out more about, about ACU, about CPAC, uh, how to, and the good work that you're up to?
1: So if you want to find out more about ACU, you want to see our ratings, you want to see all of the work we're doing. We do have a uh, online TV show uh, called CPAC Now three times a week. Go to conservative.org. If you want to see what we're doing on criminal justice, how we're making people safer, but how we're also uniting families, helping the incarcerated women, uh, dealing with juvenile justice in a way that doesn't tear children away from their parents. That that you can go to conservativejusticereform.org. And you'll
0: come, you'll see everything that we do. We will We will check that out. I'll put the link up on the show page. Oh, because we didn't ask. So any major guests, special guests, anything particular at CPAC that folks ought to be aware of this year?
1: Oh, good grief. We have more people. Uh, the, the, the amount of interest uh, in CPAC is, in speaking at CPAC is through the roof. Um, the rumor is that we're going to have a very, very popular um uh, former and potentially future president coming on stage maybe okay. in, uh, over the weekend. Uh,
0: Looking forward to seeing Barack Obama there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, but we are going to have, we have elected officials, but not everything is about elected officials and politics. Sure. We have some amazing um, writers, some journalists, some opinion leaders, thinkers, uh, KT McFarland talking about foreign policy is yes. something that nobody should miss because in this crazy time with Russia and China and Iran, you know we need people to explain what all those what are all those drivers, and more importantly, what are the solutions? That the time out. I I, this administration
0: David, forgets. David, I'm I'm going to interrupt you because I will tell you KT McFarland's speech in CPAC 2020 about the abuse of power that she faced yeah. Uh, yeah. was one of the most moving speeches that I'd ever heard at CPAC. She was fantastic. Listen, I, I we you've given us a huge amount of time. Uh, in the weeks before CPAC, so we're yeah. going to let you go. But David Savavian, thank you so very much for David, joining. Thanks. Us. God bless, buddy. Thank you, boys. Take care. That was fun. That was a that was a, that was a, that was a great conversation.
2: No, that was great fun, and uh, I'm so happy that David uh, took the time because uh, you're right; it is a busy, busy time for the folks at CPAC, and that's uh, that was a great conversation. And, and again, I hope folks picked up on on uh, the uh, the unusual. Albeit effective way that ACU is looking at criminal justice reform. Good. All Um, right.
0: With that, hold on. With that in mind, let us move to the bottom line. The bottom line. Yeah. Listen. I mean, you know, we get down to this, Jerry, and the reality, of course, is that policy is hard, and when you're talking about crime and the balance between what we want to do in terms of combating crime. And, you know, correcting the missteps that we've made in the past and correcting missteps that we're making in order to correct the other missteps that we're making. This is a hard, hard topic. I mean, you and I have spent hours talking about this, hours upon hours upon hours talking about this in regards to Baltimore. Um, And and, you know, it's. It's interesting what you said and what David said, which is this idea of, you know, there are some folks who want to overcorrect and they want to just build more prisons. They want to just incarcerate everybody. Uh, but by the same token, you know, it, we can't under incarcerate. We have to be right. smart about this. Go ahead. Well, again, and what I like about what ACU is doing is, is that it's it's purposefully
2: trying to work with um, with those who disagree with them. Yeah. And, and again, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to get all squishy on you, but the fact the fact is, is that that's what, that's what's missing uh, in our public conversation. And that is, is that um, the dishonesty where you have, um, where, and again, I'm going to, I'm going to put fault where I think fault is, is mostly on the left, uh, where, where the left, uh, give an example, because I'm getting tongue tied, an example. So Joe Biden goes to Georgia, and he calls and and, and suggests and he uh, and he labels and he uh, puts in the same uh, conversation those who oppose him on uh, these federal power grab voting rights bills, so-called voting right bills. And he he compares them to be on one side of history. You're either with Bull Connor, you're either with the KKK, uh, or you or or you're with with the angels and then he goes out in a press conference and says uh read the transcript when did i say uh, And wow. it, just just the 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 rank dishonesty you call yes. you you call someone a son of a bitch and then you wonder why they can't or won't work with you yes. and this is what the left does the left likes to call uh, uh those on the right with whom they disagree it's it's not about policy it's about you're a racist. That's right. You're a, you're a sexist. Uh, you're evil. You're you know, and, and they objectify and they dehumanize and they cancel.
0: And and that's and that's exactly it. It's it's you know it's this issue of of the othering yeah. uh, of people. You know it's funny because I'm reminded of of something that our old friend and mentor and boss Fred Smith talked about. You know in terms of talking about his political journey now in the end, right, Fred certainly was not at home in the Republican Party. wouldn't call him a conservative by any stretch of the imagination. He wasn't. Um, but, you know, Fred, you know, he, he used to talk about the fact that when he grew up in what, Louisiana? Yep. And he knew who the racists were. Now, again, we can sort of go through the history and the concept of the Dixiecrats. But what he knew is he did not want to be labeled a racist. He didn't want to be labeled, labeled a hater. So he became a liberal progressive Democrat, at least that's what he what he thought. And then he he had this political journey over time as he realized that the policies of progressivism were certainly not uh, making people more free, more prosperous. But it also goes to show you that 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 example goes to show
2: you um, how even a brilliant man like Fred Smith, Sure. Uh, uh, with political bias got it wrong, because if you think about when Fred grew up uh, in the early 60s in uh, Louisiana, um, uh, who controlled the power structure? Well, that's right. The Democrats did. The Democrats did. And, and, and we don't talk about this enough. Uh, you know, w- look, Baltimore City, a one party town for eight decades. Look at Philadelphia. Look at Camden. Look at New York. Uh, look at uh, L.A. Uh, when there's one party control, uh, it, it 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 devolves into uh, a corruption uh, and uh, and and a groupthink. And yeah. the fact of the matter is, is that uh, Jim Crow, Jim Crow, you know, institutional racism of the fifties and sixties and into the seventies uh, was the result of Democrats having one party control
0: in a huge region of the country. You know, it's funny because I, I just wrote a piece. Jerry and I were just chatting about it a minute ago. I just wrote a piece about uh, innovation and and uh, what are called patent trolls. And I'm not going to go into the weeds on this. But one of the bottom lines, because we're in the bottom line segment here, one of the bottom lines of that op-ed is the idea that if you want competition in ideas and competi- you, you need competition in platforms and if you are discouraging new platforms from being created because of the threat of lawsuits from sort of frivolous lawsuits from somebody else, once again, you're going to have what is essentially a monopoly uh, come down on this. And it, what, it, what, it, what it comes down to, weirdly enough, Jerry, wow, yeah. I'm going to come totally full circle here, the ideals behind the competitive enterprise institute, the ideas of competition in a free marketplace they apply broadly if you have a free marketplace of ideas um um you know then then you can you know you can have debate discussion compromise etc it gets down but when you have a monopoly when you have somebody controlling the discourse when you have someone controlling the policies uh then you run into massive problems so whether it's you know a monolith like facebook or youtube or whether it is the democratic power structure in baltimore city maryland um, uh monopolies on control are a bad thing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And again bring it back to Andrew and Jerry uh save the streets. Yes. Um what's happening can't stand. Yeah. Um the uh the uh Marilyn Mosby's state's attorney in Baltimore, uh the Manhattan district attorney up in uh, up in New York and uh, in Philadelphia and in LA, uh Francisco. they have to they have and they have to be held accountable We're, and the the fact is is that um, they're soft on crime Their non their non enforcement non-prosecution uh policies are putting uh the very people they claim to want to help and support uh, uh you know uh, uh, those who are suffering from disparities and and from traditional uh bias and, and discrimination they're actually putting their families their businesses their lives in jeopardy
0: well, so it gets down to what David said about the idea. If you ask anybody who actually lives in these communities about about policing and and you know the idea of actually taking a strong stance against crime, again dealing with the criminal justice side of things, but taking a strong stance against crime, you're going to find that those folks want this. Jerry, let me ask you this because you know we we've had this conversation offline. Um, I think you've talked about it on your show, but you've got some serious concerns about this new mayor of New York, Eric Adams. Well, yeah, because look, Eric Adams during the Democratic primary uh, was
2: talking tougher on on crime. Uh, and and we saw national review. We saw the New York Post, you know, and some and some other center right venues. And on WBAL, uh, our colleague, our friend, Tory Snow and others were saying, hey, this guy's going to be good. And I cautioned at the time. I'm like, look, look, um, Eric Adams is a progressive, uh, but he's also smart and he understands that the people of New York are tired of the crime. And so he's using tougher language, but then he had his first opportunity uh, to show his true colors. And uh, when these two officers in New York were gunned down, murdered in cold blood, um, he did all the right things in terms of supporting the police and And uh, and and that sort of thing. But he also went immediately to uh, New York City doesn't have a gun manufacturer uh, that there's a problem of guns Guns. and we have to and we have to get the feds involved in in ridding these guns off the streets. And the fact of the matter is, is that, yeah, illegal guns, uh, that is a serious problem, but it's a problem because. We have criminality and criminals and murderers. And if we deal with the criminal, it goes to it goes to Brandon Scott. Brandon Scott in Baltimore City has a a strategic violence reduction plan that never that never employs the word crime or criminal. Oh yeah, and it's it's not you know in 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 was in was in in Wasica, Wasica in in, in Wisconsin, it's not the car that killed those innocent people. It was the driver behind the wheel. In New York City, it's not simply the gun that killed those officers. It's the violent
0: uh, criminal who used the gun. You know, we didn't even get into this with Dave and we probably should have. And we've got a call from a number of our listeners and, and viewers to talk about this, about the role that the right to keep and bear arms plays in this. Um, which certainly is at work in New York. It should be at work in New York, and it certainly is at work and should be at work in, in Baltimore. And so we need to have a frank discussion, right, of, of these cities in which if, if, if you have these strict laws and you make it impossible for law-abiding citizens to protect themselves, right. the only people who are going to have guns are, are those who are. And, so, and also- and a funny thing. Time out for a second, because yeah. here's the thing that I keep wrapping my head around. I shouldn't make a joke about this, but I, I find it very odd. As hard as it is to get a handgun permit in Maryland, I am stunned that the alleged assailant in this killing of these cops—I I was that the mother—it was his mother's firearm, right, Jerry? And I'm trying to figure out if that was a legal firearm or not.
2: Yeah, uh, there hasn't been a lot of um, a lot of uh, public yeah. uh, public information on on the origin of the gun, but let, let me say this though. Uh, and that is, you know, again, if illegal guns are the problem and uh, look, it's part of the problem. The problem is criminality and violence and, and, and this sort of thing. Uh, but incorrectly, if I'm wrong, in Baltimore City, if you are arrested with uh, in a crime and you have an illegal gun, uh, it's a misdemeanor.
0: Yes, I believe that is true. I mean,
2: again, so how can you say on the one hand, that it's the fault of guns, 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 illegal guns. Uh, but then, when you capture a criminal in the in 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 in, in, a, in, the, in the in the in the in the action of a crime with an illegal gun. And the punishment is
0: a slap on the wrist. That's right. And and remember that that the Maryland legislature could have been dealing with this, but they did not. This gets into what we were talking about, about how these issues are really hard, right? Because you talk about over-criminalization. Jerry and I spent a lot of time talking about over-criminalization. And over is a problem. But the answer to over-criminalization isn't to do things like, uh, uh, taking down the level of crime in terms of the use of an, of, of an illegal firearm in the commission of a crime from a felony to a misdemeanor. That right. sends exactly the wrong message. Listen, right. Jerry, cause we're, we're running short on time. I, I wanted to bring this up. Uh, so Jerry hit me the other day to a movie. Uh, I've only started watching it. He says, he said, Andrew, as you're thinking about things to watch uh, you ought to consider looking at, cause I was talking to Jerry about this movie that my wife, and I started watching called The Power of the Dog, which I got about 20 minutes into, and I'm like, what the hell am I watching? <laughs> what is this? I And I, I was like, enough. You know, my wife was the same way, weirdly enough, Jerry, with Uncut Gems. Have yeah. you seen that? I, you
2: know what? I started to watch it, and I had to stop because it was just... It was too. It was. It was like. It was like. In, it was like I was traveling in traffic.
0: Yeah, I got. I had. I got a little bit further along, and I was like, as as uh, you know. Anyway, I don't want to give anything away. I, look, I wanted to like that movie because I like Adam Sandler
2: a lot, and I st- again I started to watch yeah. it, and then I was like, yeah, it was one of those things where there's a just, there was a there was a lot of moving, a uh, moving around, and, and you said, what the thing. hell
0: is this that I'm watching?
2: And I said, yeah, what is this? And then also, it, it made me feel awkward.
0: Yeah, like there was a lot of awkwardness. It was like it was like watching curb your enthusiasm, but not funny. Yes. And, and which is why my wife can't watch that. So Jerry said, you know, you need to check out this movie, the tender bar. It's my favorite book. I'll let you pull that up in a second. It is. But it is my, it is,
2: it is It is my favorite book. It is outside of the Holy scripture. This yes. is the greatest book. And if you, if you notice um, this thing is tattered Dog ears, and, there, yes. and there are notes uh, and I reread it every single year. Um, if you want to, if you want to understood, if you want to understand the importance of men, uh, uh raising sturdy men uh and the importance of place the importance of a conversation remember this right and angela did you talk about the movie no, please but remember this i haven't finished uh, when, watching it yet, when so. the puritans came to america they didn't build a church first they built a pub first yes that's and right. the reason for that is because of the conversation yes it's so important to have these conversations again my radio show uh, and, and Andrew, when I talk to you no. is based upon the importance of being the importance of place and the importance of conversation.
0: And maybe 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 we should switch up the expert advice segment and we should call it the conversation as I'm continuing to produce while we're on the air. But, but the I highly very- recommend to our to our listeners, read The Tender Bar. Yes. The movie is good, um, yes.
2: but it it is a it is a um, and you're right. A, it's a, it's a it's a facsimile. It's a. It's, it's, a, it's, it's
0: a it's a movie right books are always books are always better than the movies yeah. but this is available. I mean the book is layered yep. and complex
2: and and it's just wonderful the book the, the movie's good too
0: the the, the, the movie directed too. by George Clooney um uh, uh, starring Ben Affleck and a guy named Ty Sheridan who plays the middle the, the older uh, son on this Jerry's yeah. right he's like because I, I noticed that the, one of my favorite actors, Ah, uh, Max Martini is in it. Yeah, and Max Martini, Jerry's like, no, oh, please. he's not a good guy. He plays the not voice. A good guy he plays the voice. He plays the voice, which is the kid's uh, uh, sort of strange, is not the right word, absentee father. Yeah, yeah. And the um, thing is, too, is remember this: that the book is is a memoir. It's a true
2: story. It is, and so yeah. the the voice was actually a DJ in New York City. Yeah. Do we know who it was? I, I looked it up once. I could do it again. I no, but, don't, I don't I'll I'll look know. it up later, but it's um, only, but you, you can know, look it up. And also, <laughs> uh, the bar Dickens. Uh, is uh, was uh, it it was open as Dickens, it closed and reopened as uh, as uh, publicans. It's still there today. Yeah.
0: And it closed and and opened up again. It's still there. And Jerry and I have been talking about a field trip. But my point is this also right, because, you know, one of the other conversations that we need to have and maybe we should do Andrew and Jerry save education Uh, um, um, is the idea that there are many paths that are there. And that's why Ben Affleck's character in this as the uncle, Uncle Charlie, uncle, uncle Uncle Charlie. That's that's exactly right. Uncle Charlie Um, is, is a, is a vital character because he's, he does not have a formal education, but he is certainly well-educated and, and, and is such an important influence uh, on the main character in the movie. Anyway. So that's, that's, uh, that's, you know, Jerry's recommendation. Certainly my recommendation. It's now available on Amazon prime. Um, Came out last year. Not a lot of fanfare. Uh, but 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 very uh, very enjoyable. I will tell you something else Jerry, real quick. Um, I watched uh, over the weekend because we were sort of between everything. The new episode of Billions wasn't out. Uh, the The new episode of 1883 hadn't come out yet. Uh, we watched the the uh, the latest uh, book of Boba Fett. Um, we watched. I've been meaning to watch this for a while. We watched Amazing Grace, which was a movie that came out four years ago. It's the concert film of aretha franklin uh she did a a a a concert film and an album at a church in los angeles in the early 1970s and they it's a long and involved story as to why they can never put the movie out uh absolutely brilliant to watch and my wife had a moment you know you sort of you pull things out there was a guy in the church choir because it's a gospel album yeah and my wife says i think that guy was in the blues brothers (laughs) <laughs> like well, well no this was Los Angeles The Blues Brothers was filmed in and around Chicago no sure enough um uh, this well, the, the scene with Aretha is in Los
2: Angeles isn't it is that No no the family?
0: scene with Aretha Franklin in The Blues Brothers takes place supposedly in a diner in 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 Chicago but oh. she was talking about the church scene yes, uh, yes the, the right, slippery rock church I'm sorry yeah, do you have somebody in the room with you do do you need to No do. I just no 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 just. Uh, Anyway so so the choir the choir that they use in the scene where James Brown is, is the reverend. Yep. Uh, that is the same choir that was from Los Angeles. That was in, that was used in the Aretha Franklin oh, really album. Good. And so it is in fact, the same guy, uh, uh, seven years later, which is wild. Um, so listen, so we're going to do this live show. Uh, we're, we're hopefully going to do it next week. We're going to do something in prime time. Um, and, and we just want to give it a little advanced warning. Jerry and I want to do some planning on this. That's why yep. we're not doing it. Uh, this week, um, there was oh, and I want to come back to this. So, thank you all. We are we are starting to see more subscriptions. We're starting to see more reviews. Uh, we're starting to see more downloads. Please tell your friends, tell your family members, leave those reviews, especially on Spotify because we're on Spotify like Joe Rogan is um, on <laughs> Apple Podcasts. Yes. Uh, but but you know, get get the word out there. Um, uh, that you want you, you that people ought to be listening to this uh Jerry what do you have to say for yourself nothing it
2: was good a good program uh you know I'm I'll, even though we've gone over an hour I always feel there's more to say but that's why you have to tune in for the next show um you know again my thing is is find the truth plant your feet stand firm
0: have a great week everybody have fun and stay safe.